You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I usually have my notes, which I have over there as a backup, but uh, because I have them also on the computer, I'm going to try to use this today because it'll allow me to transition a little bit better. Um, just want to say thank you so much for being here today. Um, welcome to the house of the Lord. As always, it is so good to be with you. I didn't even expect to see so many of you here today, uh, especially with the July 4th weekend, uh, but it's always so good to see so many of you here. Yeah, but if, if you look around, you'll actually see that uh, quite a few people are probably away. They're on vacation, um, you know, probably just enjoying this time, this beautiful weather, albeit, you know, that there's like a smoke cloud over us. Uh, but that being said, I just want to encourage you briefly uh, with a little word, uh, something that's been on my heart uh, before we actually even go to God's word. Um, and it, and it comes from something that Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Uh, he's talking about the God of all comfort. And he says that the God of all comfort gives us comfort so that we can give comfort to those in need of comfort. And so even though we're in this sort of celebratory season, some of us are enjoying, again, uh, school's out and we're just having a blast. That's all good. That's all great. Please go and do that. But remember our brothers and sisters that may be going through some things. Keep them in your prayers. Keep reaching out. Keep, keep, keep iron sharpening iron because we need each other as a body. Amen? All right. Okay, so uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to begin by asking a question and then I'm going to tell a short story uh, as we sort of... Um, get into God's word this morning. So the question I'm going to ask is this. Have you ever thought that God was being unfair? Has it ever crossed your mind, God, this just isn't fair. You're not being fair. I'm going to let that question linger. I'm not going to answer it for you. But I guarantee you that throughout the course of this message, you will reflect and God will begin to speak to you with regards to that message. I want to share with you a, a short story that R.C. Sproul tells in connection with this particular passage that we're going to be looking at today. And the story takes place in a classroom setting. Uh, there's a college professor who is preparing 10 students for an exam. And five of the students, uh, as the story goes, uh, they studied diligently. They studied very hard. And then the other five students, well, they decided that they were just going to party. They decided that they were not going to study and they were going to wing it. And uh, we got this. And so when the test day come, all 10 students show up and they take the exam. But when the results come back, as expected, perhaps as expected, the five students who uh, studied very hard, they did very well. They did so well, in fact, that they all earned themselves an A on the exam. Sounds good so far, right? But also as expected, the five students who didn't study at all, well, they didn't do well at all and actually they earned themselves an F. 
the professor feels bad for these five students. So what he decides to do is curve the exam. But when he curves the exam, he doesn't say, well, I'm just going to give everybody, I'm going to give, let's say, for instance, I'm going to give the five who deserved an A an A, and then I'm just going to give the ones who failed a grade, a passing grade. He instead gives everyone a C. Again, let that linger for a moment there. Doesn't sound very fair, right? When we're thinking about our question, God, has God been fair? Have we ever questioned whether God is fair or not? There is a parable found in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Many of you know it as either the workers in the vineyard or the laborers in the vineyard. It's a great parable that Jesus tells, but it directly deals with this question that we asked this morning of whether or not God is fair. So if you don't mind, what I want to do is uh, let's actually read really quickly uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out at about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received the denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last only worked, last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And am I not allowed to do or choose rather with what belongs, do what I choose with what, belong, with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first last? The word of the Lord. Amen. All right. So it's very important to identify some characters in this story as we go through. So I'd rather do that now than to go through the story and, and then identify them. So we have the master of the house, which uh, upon my research is really sort of a depiction of God in this story. We have the vineyard, which represents the opportunity to work for God, right? Because if you have the master of the house and it's his vineyard, then it's the opportunity to work for the master of the house, which is God. 
And then we have this marketplace, which basically is where they're going to seek this work. And then we have these laborers, which represent people or uh, believers of various levels of faith. How many of you know that when we deal with a parable, we have to talk about context, right? Context is very important. You see, Jesus didn't just go around telling random stories, right? And uh, this particular uh, uh, parable is no exception. In fact, uh, if you want to understand the context for which this parable is told, you have to actually go back to the preceding chapter, which is Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, two events occur that are going to sort of springboard us into this parable that Jesus tells. You may recall the story of the rich young man, or who we call also the rich young ruler. And I'll sort of paraphrase the story for you. Basically, this young man comes to Jesus, and he says to him, teacher or master, uh, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? What do I need to do to, to get right? And he basically says to him, well, um, keep the commandments. And so he says to him, well, this I've done all my life. What else do I need to do? And so Jesus, who, how many of you know, right, whenever we're reading the word or, or whenever we're dealing with Jesus, he's going to get to the heart of the matter, right? He's going to cause us to reflect on some things. And so Jesus, sort of detecting something in this young man, says to him, well, if you really want to get right, take everything that you own, sell it, and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Notice he doesn't say, sell it, give it to me. No, he doesn't say that. He says, sell it, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And then the story says that the young man walked away sad. Now, it's very important also that you understand here what, this, what, the, what, what Jesus is saying here is not that rich people that the only way that a rich person can come to the kingdom of God is to basically sell everything they own and give it away. It's not what he's talking about here. The fact of the matter is that Jesus was actually talking specifically to this young man. He was getting at the heart of what this young man was actually showing in insincerity because he's saying to Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus is telling him, well, okay, so you want to know what you need to do to inherit the kingdom? Well, keep all of the commandments. And so he says to him, well, I've kept all of the commandments. And so when he tells him, okay, so you really want to get right, then sell everything you own. And so Jesus, sort of detecting that insincerity, tells him to give up everything that he has, and then he walks away sad. And then when he walks away sad, really for the same reason that many in this world uh, walk away sad, because when things have a grip on us, when the things that we have, the power that we have, have a grip on us, it is very difficult to depend on God. Now, the most, the next piece of this is that after he says this, Jesus says that it's very difficult for the rich to inherit the kingdom. Again, he doesn't say impossible. He says it's very difficult. And then our friend Peter, who we often find asking these very challenging questions sometimes, says to Jesus, well, we've given up everything. So what do we get? 
Now, Jesus didn't, uh, uh, Peter didn't really understand what Jesus was really getting at. You see, Jesus was dealing with this, with the insincerity here to say, again, what we just mentioned a little while ago, that it is difficult for the rich to inherit only because it is difficult for, for them to really trust in God. And Peter wrong, uh, misinterprets this by thinking to himself, well, we've given away everything, so what do we get? So Jesus answers this question for him gracefully and patiently, but then he also issues this sort of subtle rebuke that we find in this parable. Okay, so what do we want to do? So let's go verse by verse, because what I want to do is I want to jump into the parable and then extract a couple of pieces here that I think are going to be important. So as we unpack this, we'll then go into... Um, hopefully a little bit of a compare and contrast to our original story, and then we'll apply everything and wrap it all up together. So in verse 1, we see it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. We have to pause there for a second. Whenever Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like... We have to stop and pause because he is basically telling us to put on our spiritual thinking caps. Jesus is about to challenge our secular way of thinking. In layman's terms, Jesus is basically saying, following me is like this. And so when he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. He's basically saying, following me is like this. Now, it's very important to also note that in Jewish culture, a typical workday extended between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. So where our first hour is usually 12 a.m., the workday would have started at 6 a.m. and would have extended out for 12 hours. Verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. This uh, denomination that we hear, or this denominator here of a denarius, uh, was representative of a day's wage. So he basically hires this first set of workers, and he offers them a day's wage. Now, this day's wage that we have here was also thought to be uh, the daily wage of a Roman worker. So when they were basically hired to to, to work in this vineyard for this Daenerys a day, it was a very generous offer. And so they naturally went out and and, and started to work in the vineyard. Verses 3 through 5. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. Okay, so again, first hour was 6 a.m., so he goes out again at 9 a.m., he goes out again at 12 p.m., and he goes out again at 3 p.m. But something different happens here, right? Because he made an agreement with the first group 
for Daenerys, but notice that he doesn't offer this group a Daenerys. He says, I will pay you what is right. And them, understanding that this landowner was trustworthy, perhaps, went to work in this vineyard, even though they weren't told exactly what they were going to get paid. Verse 6, and at about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Okay, so now we know he's gone out four times already. And now he goes out this fifth time, which is at 5 p.m. And he finds these workers Uh, these people seeking work still in the marketplace. And he basically says to them, well, why have you been here all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. And so he offers them work as well. But understand something. It's not that they didn't uh, uh, show up on time. It's not that they sort of dragged themselves out of bed. They actually might have been there at the very same time that the first group of workers were hired. The fact of the matter is that they just weren't chosen at the first hour. And so these people sort of persevered throughout the day and that get hired. So I want to pause there for a moment because this story is starting to take a a little bit of of a different form than we would have probably told the story. The first question you have to ask yourself is, Why doesn't he just hire all of the workers in the beginning of the day? You see, if I'm telling this story, I'm going to probably tell you, well, especially if I'm talking about God, right? I'm going to tell you that he is a prudent, masterful uh, owner and and, and manager. And so he's going to hire all of the workers in the beginning of the day so that he can maximize their efficiency and maximize their productivity. But that's not the way that Jesus tells this story. And we have to start to ask ourselves, why is he telling this story the way that he's telling the story? And again, similar to how we should examine ourselves before we come to the Lord's table, we need to start examining why Jesus is telling this story the way that he's telling it. Remember, Jesus is telling this story in front of not only the disciples, but people in general, including the Pharisees. People that believed that, uh, uh, you know, they were sort of above and beyond everyone else because they kept the law. But yet Jesus called them vipers. And there they stood listening to this story and the way that Jesus is sort of interweaving this story. And so Jesus is also telling this story in the way that he's telling it because he's kind of showing you as well that in this particular context, productivity really didn't matter. It wasn't necessarily about how much production the owner of the field could get out of them. He was hiring them mercifully and by his grace. And so Jesus is telling you this to to sort of mix it up. But again, the way we think Again, not putting on my spiritual thinking cap the way I think is, well, why doesn't he just hire all of them in the beginning of the day to maximize the efficiency? All right, so let's continue. Um, Verse 8, 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. Okay. So here we are. It's now the end of the workday. It's 6 p.m. And uh, again, this, this very strange part of the story comes up because the master of the house is going to inform the manager to go and to pay the workers, but he has a very sort of strange design in the way that he wants to do it. He says, I want you to pay the last workers first. Again, not necessarily the way we would have done it, right? Because there were workers who started there first. Why not give them their pay first? But no, Jesus tells this in such a way that, again, is going to provoke thought in the reader or the listener of the story. Verse 9 and 10. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. This is the part of the story where we really, really start to Um, where we can start to really relate. Because here's the thing. These last people come and they receive a full day's pay. Again, they only worked one hour and they received a full day's pay. And so the workers, the first set of workers, the 6 a.m. workers, they're sitting there and they're looking at this and they're like, whoa, if they got a full day's pay, and they only did one hour of work, well, then I'm going to probably get 12 denarius, right? Lord, I see you bless this person. You definitely going to bless me, right? Right? And that's how they're acting right now. And we can really start to relate to this because how many of us have been there, right? We see somebody else's blessing, and we're like, Oh, (laughs) if that person got that, I'm going to get something far greater. (laughs) But much to their dismay. And so we see in verse 10 here. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. We're going to go to verse 11. And on receiving it. Sorry, yes, verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Again, without sort of having a spiritual thinking cap on, without actually understanding a good, good father, as you're looking at this portion of the story, you have to ask yourself, Who do you relate to more? These men who are saying this, they don't necessarily, uh, it's not that they don't make common sense here. It's like I've worked all day long and you're paying me the same thing that you're paying these people. But guess what I'm doing? I'm not seeing the blessing that's been given to me. I'm focusing on your blessing to define my blessing. And so I am ungrateful 
for the blessing that God has given to me because I am the measuring and defining my blessing according to the blessing that God has for you. Now, there's also a part of this story where, uh, <laughs> verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Again, what would I do? Bro. How about you give me what I gave you and get up out of here, right? But no, that's not what he does. He's, he's actually very patient, and he actually explains to them, didn't I make a deal with you early in the morning? Didn't I, didn't I give you a, not only what you deserve, but didn't I actually even give you more than you deserved? Actually, if you really think about it in context, those that were hired after the 6 a.m., they actually all received more than they deserved, right? Because... It's that, like people focus, they think that it's the, it's the, the 6 a.m., the 9 a.m., uh, uh, the 12, and the 3. No, it's actually just the 6 a.m. were taken up exception with the, with the 5 p.m. But really, all of the workers that were hired after 6 a.m. actually received more than they deserved. And yet the master basically says to them, friend, I've, I, I've committed no injustice against you. I didn't do anything wrong. I gave you exactly what we agreed upon. But again, because they measured up to what someone else was getting, they sat there and they said, you've committed an injustice against us. This isn't fair. And then he says to them, am I not allowed to do what, what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? There are um, different translations to this that will tell you, or do you have an evil eye towards my goodness? An evil eye, in the context of the Bible, denotes jealousy. Are you jealous of my goodness? Are you jealous of the blessing that I've given to that brother or that sister? The kindness that I've shown, are you jealous of that? And then he closes as he began. Something that I left out is that before Jesus gives us this parable, he says something very, uh, actually the same thing. He says, so the last will be first and the first last. Now, that statement right there is very important and it is super key. Because not only in the context of this sort of subtle rebuke, towards Peter, because the subtle rebuke towards Peter was this. You might think that you're first right now, but you could very well be last. Don't think of yourself necessarily highly, higher or greater than anyone else necessarily because you're quote-unquote in. Because Peter's whole response to the rich young ruler wasn't, Lord, well, you know what? With you, all things are possible. You can get a hold of that young man. His response was, well, he's out. I'm in. So what do I get? 
That was his response. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. Friend, you got to be careful not to think so highly of yourself that others become belittled around you. And so as he's giving this sort of subtle rebuke, he's telling Peter basically, don't think so high of yourself in the sense that you are better than necessarily those that will come after you. It's not that he was taking anything away from Peter, because remember, in chapter 19, he actually says to him, he says, you will sit over the 12, you 12 will sit over the 12 tribes of Israel. You will have your reward in heaven. But the point of the matter is this, to all of us, we have been given the same gift, which is the gift of eternal life. The baseline, no matter how much you do, no matter how much you think you have to do, because you cannot earn this, is that God has freely given to us with what he has done on the cross, he has given us eternal life. Amen? I want to go back really quickly to our original short story. And we want to compare it and contrast it with the story uh, that we just read. In the original story, we had characters, very similar, right? So we're going to talk about some similarities and dissimilarities. In the original story, we had characters, right? We had the, the professor, we had the students. In addition to having the professor and the students, we had this sort of like classroom setting, and here we have a vineyard and a marketplace. Uh, there was an exam that we talked about, and in both stories, there was sort of this act of mercy that was done, right? The professor decides to make uh, the students equal, quote-unquote, and uh, he gives all of them a C. And in the story, uh, in the parable that Jesus tells, we see that uh, the owner of the, the vineyard decides to give each of them a denarius, which, again, a lot of similarities so far. But here's the major dissimilarity between those two stories. In the first story, the professor has to commit an injustice against the five who earned an A. He commits an injustice against them. But God, or rather in the story that Jesus is telling, the landowner commits no injustice and yet makes us all equal. Friends, when God calls us to what we have and, and calls us into the richness of his life, he doesn't do so on the back and expense of others. He doesn't hurt others to do so. And so when we sit there and we question God and we ask God, Father, you know, I know this person and, you know, they get around and they do all of this stuff and, and yet they're getting married. And why am I not getting married? Or when we say, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm going through some stuff right now. And, and you know, it, it's like, you're just not fair. You know, I tithe faithfully, and this person who doesn't tithe anything, you're blessing them. We're allowing ourselves to be blinded by the blessings of others. And this is what this parable is teaching us, to steer clear of that. God has committed no injustice against us. Amen? We got the kids in the house, so I'm going to try to start wrapping up. 
But what I want to do really quickly is just pull a couple of important points. And there are a lot of points here. We can sit down over a cup of coffee because as I was studying this, I was like amazed at some of the stuff that you can really grab out of this one parable. And I'm sure there's things that you've grabbed out of this parable even sitting here today. But the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything. You've probably heard it said that if God didn't do another thing for us, he's already good. He's already been good. Notice that in the story, the workers were upset because they didn't get the same pay, but what they didn't understand is that he didn't have to hire any of them. When he went into the marketplace and he, 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 he hires them, he does so mercifully. These, these people were in this marketplace seeking work because they had no work. And so when he hires them, he does it from a position of mercy. And again, they could not see that. So we have to remember that God does not owe us anything. The second point I want to make is that you cannot earn God's favor. Notice here how the blessing that God or, or the blessing that was bestowed was not necessarily based on the productivity. God does not bless us because we do more for him. God blesses us because he is good. Okay? You cannot earn grace. Grace is given by God. It is not something that you are uh, 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 sort of able to conjure up or work your way into. Sure, I'm not advocating here that we need to be idle. No, that's not what I'm saying here at all. In the kingdom, you will store up plenty of treasure, but you will not earn grace. Grace, it is something that the Lord gives to us by his mercy. The next point, which is going to hopefully stir something up in us, is that concentrating on the blessings of others will lead, us to resent, will lead us to have resentment towards God. I kind of already touched on this point, but the fact of the matter is this. The minute that we start measuring our value, our worth before God based on the blessings of others, we are showing God that we're ungrateful for what he has blessed us with. You may not see it that way. Again, because similar to the workers, you may just be blinded by what you want. But that blindedness or, or that blinding will take away from you the, the, the blessing that God has shown you. I want to share with you a, a short testimony of uh, when I came to the Lord. Uh, when I came to the Lord, of course, many of you know it was... Uh, a radical transformation. Um, I remember coming to the Lord and I uh, was uh, fresh out of the, the big house and uh, many of the people uh, were, were so kind, so loving to me and there was this one gentleman that I met uh, and I detected no animosity from this person when I first met them and um, I started noticing that slowly but surely 
as God began to open doors for me, as God began to show me favor, as God began to uh, 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 just bestow his mercy, his grace on me, right? Similar to the 5 p.m. worker. Um, I noticed that this person started getting a little cold towards me. And I really couldn't put my finger on it because I was like, well, did I do something to this person? And so I I went to, at the time, I went to uh, our associate pastor and I said to him, look, you know, I want to do what's right here. Um, Instead of, you know, confronting this person or, or, I mean, I was still raw, by the way. Um, Instead of taking him outside and asking him a question, uh, (laughs) I want to do the right thing and I want to confront him, right, in the presence of the pastor. And when I went to him, uh, to the pastor, he, he kind of, he could detect some things here as well. He, he was able to deter, discern this. And when we went and we confronted this person, we, we, we basically said to him, you know, um, you know, this is how I feel and I'm, this is how you make me feel. And it's, it's, you know, did I do something wrong to you? The person sort of right away dismissed me. He didn't, now here's the funny thing. He didn't like deny it. He just dismissed me and he said, this is trivia. By the way, I didn't know what trivia meant. So I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? So he's like, this is trivia. And I was like, looking at the pastor confused. And, and he basically he walked away with me and he said to me, you know, these things happen, but just keep your eye on the Lord. And so one thing that we don't look at here sometimes is that when we do this stuff, when we concentrate on the blessings of others, we don't think about the impact that it may even have on those others. You know, one of the things is that, that I look back now is what if that would have discouraged me to the point where I would have walked away like many and said, these are a bunch of hypocrites. I'm never coming back here again. Just saying. And the last point I'll make here as we close is to never look down upon the 5 p.m. worker. You know, the fact is that we live in a society that always wants to be first. And Jesus says here that sometimes the last will be first. But the fact of the matter is this. Today you may be the 6 a.m. worker, and tomorrow you may be the 5 p.m. worker. How many of you have ever found yourself in need of God's favor? How many of you have maybe done some things that you weren't supposed to do or thought some things you weren't supposed to think, and yet God still shows you favor? Friends, stay humble. Never allow yourself to think, I'm first, I'm better. Even when you hear it promoted in our politics, even when you hear it promoted all around us, first, 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 first. No, stay humble. Put your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness this morning, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray today, Lord Jesus, that your word would just permeate in the heart of those that heard it today, Lord God. Father, that it would cause us to examine ourselves, Lord. It would cause us to think to ourselves, Lord, who we mostly relate to in this story, Lord Jesus. And, Father, that we wouldn't reflect on the blessings of others, Lord Jesus, in a negative way, Lord God, but that we would see those blessings and give you thanks, Lord, for the blessings that you've bestowed even on our brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus. 
But Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. We thank you, Lord God. And if we've not been thankful, Lord God, if we've not been grateful, Lord God, we repent right now, Lord Jesus. And we just say, Lord, thank you so much. Help us to love you more. Help us to see, Lord God, your work in hand in our lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would not be blinded by what others have and what we think we should have, Lord Jesus. That we would not have a spirit of entitlement, Lord God, but that we would have a spirit of thanksgiving, Lord God. A spirit of gratefulness, Lord Jesus. And Father, we just give you all the thanks this morning, Lord God. And we commit it all to you, Lord Jesus, for it's in your precious and holy name that we pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.